0: good morning everybody. It's great to be back with you again today. Thanks David for preaching last week. I heard great things about uh, the preaching of the Word and got a chance to listen to that as well. And man, what a blessing to have uh, David come up here and share the Word last week. If you're a guest with us today, we want to welcome you. I've met some new folks with us today and we're really thankful that you'd come and worship with us. We have a lot of our church family is, is out of place today and several that are sick. And uh, in fact, when you saw Caleb come up here to make announcements, you're like, hey, I thought that dude was supposed to be in Togo. Well, you're right, he was, but sickness turned him around and he got all the way to DC and then had to turn around and come back. And so I'm thankful he was able to be with us today. But that kind of just speaks in volume for the rest of our church as much as a lot of great things God's doing all over the world. We have several people in our church family that are having a tough time. And so if you are aware of that be sure you are lifting those up in prayer. And we know that God is the physician, God knows best, and God is the one that is totally in control. And we are thankful today. That we can trust him for those things. I want to thank our praise team today. Obviously, with Jack and Andrew are in Togo, and a lot of our setup squad with that as well. And so we're, uh, we're we had to do a lot of things this morning, what may be out of order and norm for us. But uh, man, what a great a uh, great time to worship today! Jack and Andrew led a concert last night in Togo. And uh, it was kind of in city center or village center. And so that was an exciting time to draw a lot of people together. And uh, the Togolese also um, started to play some songs and do some things as well. So it created a really great environment. But the preaching of the gospel is taking place In that village, as Caleb mentioned, people are coming to Christ, and we have asked God uh, that a church would be planted there, and we get to be a part of that. And I'm thankful. One Community Church has now been a part of multiple church plants in Togo, Africa, and uh, that's super exciting that God allows us to do those things. And so we are also going to take a team back there in June. So if that would interest you, then pay attention to the dates. They're coming in fast, and we'd love to have you be a part of a team to go on another church plant uh, process in the month of June. You know, one of the things that's an observation you make in Scripture but just in life, and that is God is at work all around the world simultaneously doing incredible things, but it seems that there's always such great opposition, and today no, no different. We celebrate what's happening in Togo, and so it seems so peaceful and exciting, and yet there's opposition that certainly comes in that spiritual realm there as well. But then you take a tour over to our friend Buddy who's in Ukraine, and things are extraordinarily complicated in his ministry right now. People are coming to Christ, but under, under the auspice of bombs and everything else going off around them. It's a very difficult space. We have our mission uh, partnerships in, in China as well that are not able to minister as openly as maybe they would like to be able to do. But God is still at work there even with opposition facing in those places as well. And so when I think about that, I think about Paul's ministry and what we've been studying in the book of Colossians. That sometimes when we see God doing great things, but we get a little bit overwhelmed by the adversities. And sometimes it even causes us to either stress out, and maybe you're stressed out today or burned out just by circumstances of life, whatever that could be. And we get so fo- focused or fixated on that item that we, we can't really see the big picture anymore of what God is doing in our lives around us and around the world. Well, as I make observations of Paul's life, he's, he's a man on a mission. He's a church planter. He's a missionary. But somehow he's able to back up from things and get a better perspective to keep his life in a, in a kingdom-mindedness at all times. Now, he reminds us of this and helps us to see it, but it, I heard a quote this week that was really helpful to me personally, and that is, whenever you're stressed out, whenever you're burned out, zoom out. And that makes a lot of sense you know last night the full moon was incredible wasn't it if you got to be outside it was so amazing but it is true that if you held up something as small as a dime in front of your face between you and the moon you could obstruct the entire vision of something so massive that you can't see it because you're fixated on this right here but if I zoom out obviously my perspective changes I want you to consider today in Colossians chapter 1 what Paul is facing as a man who is in prison, who is now writing a letter back to the church that's in Colossae. The pastor of that church, whose name was Epaphras, has come to where Paul is, and was explaining to him how the gospel has come into that community, people have gotten saved, and that church is multiplying. But of course, as God is working through that community and in that church, Opposition has come. False teachers have infiltrated into the church and are proclaiming things that are not true, but Epaphras needed some help on this to understand the the way of God more perfectly, so he comes to visit with Paul. Paul then writes a letter so that Epaphras can go back and now give this letter uh, through the hand of Tychicus, actually, but they're going to give this letter to the church of Colossae that they can read it, And know that this just isn't just a testimony now of Epaphras, but this is Paul giving this information knowing that Paul was an apostle. Paul was someone who had the apostolic authority to speak these truths knowing that this was from God. And so as he's writing to them, he's explaining to them that Jesus Christ is above all. That He is above all governments and powers and authority. That He is above all creation because He is the Creator. He is above the church because he's the head of the body. He is literally above all. And now as He's explaining this, He's also now today going to pan back from His own space in ministry to help us all gather uh, an understanding of a mystery in Scripture. But understanding too, this is why Paul, the ministry that Paul has been given is why he suffers. Now, let's, let's see this together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And now, I, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Now, that's just a hard phrase to grasp. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you, to fulfill the Word of God. Now, I'm going to work this passage a little bit backwards to understand this calling on Paul's life, and then how do you carry this forward to the place that suffering now makes sense? Well, he, be, he begins it by explaining that he has this stewardship that has been given to him according to God. Paul was called into the ministry by God. Now we remember the story when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was on course to go arrest Christians, put them in prison, beat them, or kill them, whatever the case may be. As he's on that road, he meets Jesus. He gets saved. It transforms his life. And so now he goes from being this one opposing to Christ to now he's a follower of Christ, and not just a follower, but now he's going to be an ambassador, a messenger of Christ everywhere he goes to multiply the gospel message in every community that God would lead him to. But he was called into this relationship by God, just like you and I are. We don't see Jesus face to face on the road necessarily, but it is a personal calling that God makes into our life. He makes an appeal to our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He convicts us, Jesus said this, that the Spirit of God would come and would reprove the world of sin, meaning he will convict us of our sins so that we see we need a Savior. It is the Spirit of the living God that is the one that reveals the truth that as you hear truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God, that He is the one who died on the cross and rose again, well, that information that comes to us is illuminated to an understanding by the Spirit of God. It's like He opens the seal so you can see it. Now, you have a response to that, same as me, that we have a response of faith. By faith, do we believe what we've just heard is true or not true. And by faith believing that it is true and trusting now Jesus Christ to save us, we are saved. Saved from sin, saved from judgment, unto uh, salvation of course, which means we are saved to serve and saved unto eternal life, a life of hope in Christ Jesus. But Paul describes this calling is not of himself, Though Paul had an incredible education being trained by the the leader of the Pharisees, which would have been a guy named Gamaliel, he had an incredible education. Paul had come from a lot of advantages as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he describes his lineage in the book of Philippians that, you know what, all that stuff is cool, but compared to knowing Christ that means nothing. But it wasn't his lineage and it wasn't his education that brought him into this ministry. He was called into this relationship personally by the Lord, just like you and I, and called into ministry, which means we are called to serve. The word ministry literally means serve. We have been saved to serve. We are not saved to sit, we are saved to serve. We serve the Savior, we serve the King. This also keeps a perspective here of an attitude because it reflects on our weakness. Because when we recognize our calling and recognizing the fact that in Romans 5 teaches that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the humility and the perspective is without God's grace, Him dispensing grace and and, uh, giving me the undeserved love of God and holding back the judgment that I rightfully deserve, which is His mercy. Without those two things, without His grace and mercy, I would be condemned and I would be lost forever. But God did extend those things, but it's a perspective. I was lost. I needed a Savior, and Jesus saved me. And He's the one that called me into a relationship with Him personally and then gives me a ministry, which is what Paul's describing here. And so in this attitude of, Having this attitude of humility that, like Romans 12, Paul taught this, don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly. Recognizing that God has given gifts and talents and abilities to everyone. And it's diverse and so there's none higher or above anyone else in here. We're all in the same boat. We're all at the foot of the cross needing a Savior. But we all have different functions for different purpose to spread the Gospel throughout the world. Where do we get in trouble? We get in trouble whenever we think we deserve something better than what we've got. Now what happens? Because when we, as a servant, we begin to serve, we sacrifice. It costs you something to be a servant of God. And let's just use an example. You burn out a whole Saturday serving people and giving yourself for someone else. And come Monday, all the wheels of life fall off and things are so complicated. Maybe it's your health goes bad, the job goes bad, the boss goes bad, things are bad. And it's like, well, I gave my life for the sake of serving God, and I feel like I'm not being repaid very well. See, that's the struggle with perspective. When we zoom back out, we realize I was saved to serve. I did not deserve salvation, I was granted salvation as a gift from the Creator of heaven and earth, who called me by name into a personal living relationship with Him, in opposition to the gospel, is going to be my reality. We're going to, we live in a world that is cursed with sin and corruption and deceitfulness and all the junk that goes with it and hotly opposing Christ followers. But when our perspective gets off, what do we, what do, what's our thought? If I've sacrificed, then at, at the bare minimum, doesn't God owe me to kind of take care of things and keep me healthy and keep me running fast and take care of all the provisions of everything that I possibly could need and keep the opposition away from my life so I don't have to be so stressed over all the things going on around me? No, we're going to learn something here about the value of Christ in you in just a moment. Paul said, I was called into this ministry and granted a stewardship. Now, a steward is a manager. He's a steward of God's words. He's a steward of God's message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, just as we are. Stewarding God's resources, all that we have belongs to God every dollar, every resource, every gift, talent, and treasure, all your time, everything, it belongs to the Lord. He gave it to you. You are to manage it. You are to multiply it. All things. The ministry that you've been given, multiply that ministry. We've been given a ministry as a local church. Our job as a church is to multiply our church in this community and around the globe as God sees fit. My prayer for One Community Church is that we will plant more churches, not just in Togo and not just in Zambia, and not just in China and in Ukraine. Those are great mission partners, but what would God do with us even right here in Missouri? And what would He do with us in our own country where we have pockets in the United States today where the lack of church presence is staggering? You don't have to go very far in our country to go to entire metro areas where the population is dense and the churches are very, very few. They're going out of business like they do even in the European nations. We have a crisis in our own nation, and I'm praying that God would use our church as stewards, that our church would multiply. Well, what would it take for that to happen? It's just... Our church family following God's Word and fulfilling God's Word. That's what we're going to see. We've been granted a stewardship. Paul described his calling into the ministry and this stewardship just like we are. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he he gives this testimony. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. What was committed? The gospel message is committed to his trust. And he said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Did Paul call himself into the ministry? No, he was put into the ministry by the Lord himself, just as we. Verse 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Notice, he couples together mercy, God withholding back the judgment he deserved to receive as a blasphemer, as an insolent man, as a persecutor. He should have been judged and condemned, but he wasn't. God extended mercy. And by grace then he extends the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation through faith and love through him. And he said, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. That's a perspective. He saw himself as the chiefest of all sinners and we look at him and say, no, you're the greatest missionary that we've ever known. But that's not how he saw himself. See, he thought soberly, recognizing who called him into this salvation, who called him into the ministry in the first place, and what was the role that he's been given, and and that God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, would entrust him, that he's going to give him a stewardship to carry forward the ministry of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come into this world to save sinners. And then he would steward him with all of the resources that are the kingdom resources. That's an incredible thing to recognize that God has done that in all of our lives as Christ followers. Unto what? To fulfill the word of God. The text taught. Well, what does that mean? To fulfill it. To do what God tells you to do. The word of God instructs us. To go and multiply, the Word of God teaches us how we are to conduct our lives, whether we're employees, whether we're employers, whether we're husbands and wives and children. We are given instruction to fulfill the Word of God. Do exactly what God instructs us to do. Well, Paul, when he was called into the ministry, was already told he would be a minister to the Gentiles kind of an earth-shattering thought in light of his upbringing, being someone who was trained in the school of the Hebrews or school of the Jews, and being an expert in law and custom. But now he's been given this ministry to the Gentiles, a completely different people group than what he's, he's used to being around. All different backgrounds that is not normally his background. You know, we can learn a lot from this. God calls us into spaces to serve with people that aren't just like us. We often resist that, whether it's because of different race, different backgrounds, different, different uh, hobbies and interests. We naturally gravitate to people that are just like us. And God is constantly trying to move the church beyond its own comforts to reach the people that are not like us. And we won't unless we back up and get God's perspective on the matter. Paul became this minister then unto the Gentiles, which was out of his comfort and out of his box. God is the one that told him where to go. And when Paul gets to the end of his life, his instruction to his disciple is this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry fulfill it fulfill the word of god it's the ministry you've been entrusted with he said for i am already i am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand i have fought the good fight i have finished the faith the race and i have kept the faith paul says this he was called into the ministry given a stewardship To fulfill the Word of God for what purpose? For the sake of the church. For the sake of the church. The church is the bride of Christ whom Christ loves. We know this in Ephesians chapter 5 that He gave Himself for her, the church. We know that He washes the church with the water of the Word so you catch the heart of God Himself for His bride we know from this same text in Colossians that we've already studied that Jesus Christ is the head of the body and we are his body parts. He loves the body of Christ and works in every part individually so that we collectively accomplish his will and purpose. He's intimately connected to every part. The church is the t- great testimony of the grace of God. You when know, you think about the diversity, of every, everyone in this room. I think about this whenever we, I sit down and do a marriage counseling or premarital counsel. I enjoy doing that because you take two people coming from co- two completely different backgrounds, different personalities, totally different walks, and now somehow they're going to mesh together to become one. And that's the instruction of Scripture, to become one. It's challenging. It takes work to do that, and what's the work of it? Yielding. Submission, helping, serving, loving, all those things. Well, what happens in the church? We come under one head, Jesus Christ the Lord. We are all diverse with all of our backgrounds, our interests, our religious habits and backgrounds. We've all come from so much. Experiences. And now all of a sudden we're brought together and called to be one, united by the Spirit of the living God who dwells in each one of us, but we become one to accomplish His purpose. It is a testimony of the grace of God that the entire church, local churches like this, and then collectively the universal church, if you will, of the world is this incredible trophy of grace put on display that who could do such a thing besides a wonderful, magnificent God of grace? That He could link all of this together simultaneously. Just thinking, and many of you have been overseas in missions, but just thinking about what's happened today. It's late afternoon now in Togo. But this morning they had a church service in Togo, meeting under those tents that you saw them have. So you have American people there that do not speak the EVE language, the local dialect, ministering alongside people who do. Somehow they can communicate. The love and embrace and companionship and fellowship is very evident. The brotherhood is very strong. The love is extended. The grace is on display, and people come in to see this from outside that are watching Our guys interacting with the national pastors and the local church people that have come together to love on this village and show them just by definition, just, I want to show you what is Christ. And it puts it on display and the people see that and say, that looks different than anything I've ever known. Your God must be real because the gods of these other things that they've known, that's not real. That never looks like this. There's always a payback and there's always some kind of deficit that you're having to pay into something. But that's not what's happening here. And it puts on an incredible trophy of God's grace and demonstration of grace. It's what the church was designed to do. And Paul says, for the sake of the church, I minister and have been called into this that the church would multiply. But now with that backdrop, here's what he said, and now I suffer. I suffer for the sake of the church. I suffer for fulfillment of the Word of God. I suffer for the calling that God put on my life. But you know what? If he just focused on the suffering and the fact that, come on, man, you mean after I come to know the Lord and Christ followers at first rejected me because they were afraid of me. That's fair. Well, then I got kind of warmed up into some of the churchy people, but when I would go into cities, like Paul would say this. He'd go into a city... And proclaim the truth of God's word. All he's talking about is God, Creator, Jesus, Messiah. He's the Savior. And some people embraced that and loved to hear that truth, and others hated him for it, stoned him, beat him, tossed him out, left him for dead. And he went through all kinds of trouble. He had personal afflictions in his own body that he asked God, God, would you relieve me of these afflictions that are in my own body? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Well, after all that you do, doesn't God like owe him something? Grease the rails a little smoother. Good grief, this guy's devoted his life and has given up so much. It seems like he's lost so much of this short thing called life and now he gets suffering. So if you focus on the suffering, you kind of lose that big, beautiful picture of what God's drawing. And he backs up and says, yeah, I suffer. I suffer for the sake of the church to fulfill the mission and ministry that God gave to me. And he called me into this life. I didn't call myself. And it's my privilege to serve the creator, my savior. Totally different perspective. And that's where he found his joy. It was the joy of the ministry is the perspective of who he is in the Lord. There's a joy in the mystery as well. And here it is in Colossians one twenty-six. This is an incredible piece of text here that we get to study today because we're going to unveil another mystery in Scripture. And here it is. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. First, what's a mystery? A mystery is a truth that has been there the whole time, but revealed now. There are times in Scripture that we know that, and as Deuteronomy teaches, that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us, and, well, He doesn't reveal all things. In matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he would reveal secrets to certain individuals. But now we find out this mystery has been revealed to all saints. This is made known for all. Anyone who's a Christ follower, I want all of you that are Christ followers to know this one. This is huge. So here's the revelation of this mystery. Now, the word mystery is interesting because there are several things listed in the New Testament that you see it in the Old Testament, but you don't really understand it until you get to the New. For example, in the New Testament describes the mystery of the gospel, the good news. Well, we read about that good news and it's in picture form and types in the Old Testament, but we don't really grasp the full gravity of the gospel until the Messiah himself shows up and dies on a cross and resurrects. But we see it, we just didn't grasp it. There's the mystery of the rapture of the church, that God would call out the church, his bride. We see that in type in the Old Testament without full grasping until we get to the new and it's revealed as a mystery. We see the mysteries revealed of of you and I in Christ that together the Jew and the Gentile could somehow be together in Christ Jesus. That sounded impossible based on history. But you see pieces and parts of it through the Old Testament, but then it's revealed in totality in the New. The mystery of iniquity, the spirit of Antichrist that's at work. Well, good grief, we see that all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, that God's at work. And Satan is always opposing. Though we get to see it fully manifest in the New Testament and even see his doom in the book of Revelation. We see the mystery of the restoration of Israel in the New Testament. But in the old it's hard to grasp that because you see them go into exile. You see them return. Then you see the rejection of Christ. And we see all of this that happens. But is God done with Israel? Well, the book of Romans says He's not. So there's an incredible mystery that's revealed is that God is not done with the nation of Israel, that God has a restoration plan for the na- nation of Israel. Well, here's a mystery. This incredible mystery today is this one. Christ in you. Hard to even wrap our head around the fact that Christ is in us. But what does that even mean? that the Spirit of the living God, the person of God, we're not talking the Spirit like power and jet fuel type dispensing. I'm talking the person of the living God literally dwells in you. The moment you became a Christ follower, the Spirit now lives in you. Now how did we see this in the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament you had a physical building, a temple, and God would come and He would meet individuals in that building, the priest in that place, and he would accept the offerings that were, that were made. But now what happens? We come into the New Testament and a whole new definition to temple comes in. It's no longer a building. It's us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, "...and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God." and they shall be my people. Here is the testimony of God himself dwelling in the hearts of people. We are his temple. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why? Because you were bought with a price. What was the price? The blood of Christ. We were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We become now, as a Christ follower, Christ in you, this incredible mystery. Now, what's the big deal with that? Well, The promises and the riches of the glory is what's so amazing about this. And this is what he's describing. The riches, the riches of the fact that Christ dwells in you brings to you power that you did not have, strength you would no way have, comfort, Sympathy, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The witness of our salvation being secured, knowing that you belong to God, that he will always be with you and never leave you, never forsake you. And that is affirmed and assured to us in the indwelling spirit. It's this incredible riches that money cannot buy. And it is the promise that is Christ in you. I love the affirmation of this in Romans chapter 8 that teaches, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You have this never-ending witness in you that keeps reminding you, even when you fail, even when you don't do things that are pleasing to the Lord, He just keeps reminding you, you belong to me. You are a child of God. And that is the witness of the Spirit indwelling. With the indwelling Spirit, is there anything that cannot be done in the name of Christ? No, because why? We become the hands and feet of Jesus and He empowers you to do His work, to fulfill His word. So when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, you bought and paid for me with your own blood, here is my life. You use it as you see fit. And He will take you and empower you to put you in places you never thought you would go, to do things you never thought you would do, and and give you the strength to do it, the resources to accomplish it, Does that mean that everything's just going to be rosy and smooth? Nope. In fact, every time you take a step forward with God, you're probably going to get opposition in the face. Why? Because when Jesus was here, He was persecuted. They hated Him. They beat on Him. They did everything opposing to Him because Satan opposes Him. And now He's not here and present, so we are here and He's in us. So, of course, we become the whipping post for the opposition. But who is in us? Well, Christ is in us. Totally understanding. We don't have this high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. You know, that verse is so incredible because Jesus not only didn't sin, but he also knows exactly what you and I go through and ministers the measure of grace in every moment for the struggle that we have with the opposition that we face. Paul experiences this incredible joy in ministry when he gets the right perspective. We have an incredible joy of the mystery of knowing that Christ is in us. There's also a joy in maturity in Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, meaning Christ. We preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end... I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. The word preach means simply to proclaim. Is that just for guys like me that stand on platforms? No, this is for everyone. You're a proclaimer of a message wherever you are. And what do we do? We warn. You're preaching. You're warning every man and teaching every man. Notice the phrase every man is repeated. It's for all. This is not exclusive. It's for all. We warn every man. Well, what's, what does it mean to warn? To give encouraging counsel in view of sin and certain judgment. You're warning of, you know what? You're on a pathway that's contrary to God. If you're lost. And until someone by faith turns to Jesus, they face judgment. As a sinner, they die in, their, in, in, in sin they face the judgment that goes with that. That often gets left out of conversation these days because that doesn't sound very attractive to say. But we might take our cue from Colossians that as stewards of the gospel and ministers of the gospel to proclaim the message of grace and love and truth in this incredible indwelling spirit that God lives in us? That personal God that the rest of the religions of the world today say you cannot know God? Our God so knowable, He dwells in us. But what if we leave off the aspect of warning? There's no consequence for rejection. It's what sows in this concept that, well... As long as you have faith in something, all roads lead to heaven, right? As long as you believe in a higher power, eventually your faith will get you to the higher one. No, that will lead you straight to hell. Because the road map is very simple. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The only entrance we have into eternity with the Lord is with Jesus. Here's the warning. He was providing this warning and teaching means bringing positive message of the positive doctrine of who is God, the relationship that we have when we walk with the Lord. I want to show you a quick model. Acts 17. Paul goes to Mars Hill. He's in Athens, Greece. He's preaching to a bunch of people who are worshiping false gods. So, what does he say? Acts 17. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. This is the warning. Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance to this and to all by raising Him from the dead. Notice the warning, notice the teaching. The warning is judgment. The teaching is God has provided a Savior for, by raising one from the dead, and His name is Jesus. And He does both. And Paul said in this ministry that he's been given, he labors and strives doing the work of the ministry. And we are to train one another in doing the work of the ministry, and ministry is work. You probably found that out. If you get invested in the lives of people, it's work. We strive together, I love these words, we strive together in prayer for one another. We labor, the labor of love. What does it mean to love someone unconditionally and to help and to come alongside and to serve and to show kindness and, and be, uh, be ever-present when someone needs presence? The ministry's work not to be done half-hearted, and treat it as the throw-off, or only if we have time. Kind of the last addition to the week, if it fits. The ministry, Paul said that I may present every man complete or perfect in Christ Jesus. And what does that even mean? To be complete in Christ means someone who is indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. Someone who's saved. Before we become saved, the Spirit's not dwelling there. You're incomplete. The moment you trust Jesus as your Savior, you are now complete in Him, and He does His perfecting work in your life to sanctify you through the rest of your days on this planet to perfect your life, to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ the Lord. And Paul said this, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. There is nothing lacking. If you are a Christ follower today, you are complete in Christ Jesus. And how is all this made possible? Paul summarized it. He said, by God who works in me mightily. It is God who works in me to accomplish this. It is not of myself throwing the hands up and yielding and saying, God, I belong to you. Do your work through my life. I give my life to you. I don't know where your perspective's at today. If you're stressed out, if you're burned out, good chance you're holding the dime right up to your nose and you can't see. Will you today back up? zoom out. Zoom out to see what? The one who called you into salvation. Zoom out to see where was I before Christ called me into this relationship with him. In the ministry that he's called me to in the stewardship that he's given to me to fulfill his word for the sake of his church. And that I might reveal the mysteries that have been given to me, and that is that Christ dwells in me. And then I might labor according to His working, which works in me mightily. And having the great joy then of maturity, of not only in my own life of growing in Christ, but seeing others grow in Christ as well. When we zoom out, we see God's work not only in our lives, but in the lives of others and what God's doing around the world. And you can't help but want to be a part of what God's doing. When we're focused here, all we can see is my problems, my troubles, my stress, my thing, and we lose the rest. I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would. As our worship team comes, the Lord will lead us in a song in a moment. I want to encourage you today, if you've come in here and today you're not sure about your relationship with God, we would love to have a chance to just process that with you and have a chance to open the Word of God and show you what does it mean to have a relationship with God. How do you know you're saved? And Christians in this room today, do we need to zoom back, zoom out, get a different perspective? surrendering our lives unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for orienting our perspective on you, your kingdom, the salvation that you've given to us freely that we did not deserve. We did not earn, but granted a gift of grace by you. Lord, it's it's hard to grasp that you would even make us stewards, that you would trust us. You, you know us better than we know ourselves, but still you trust us and grant us, by your grace, the ministry of the gospel for the sake of the church, that it would multiply throughout the world under the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of these truths today and the things that, Lord, we have focused our attention on that that we need to lay at the foot of the cross, that we gain our perspective there. And that, Lord, today we would once again yield our lives to you to be used by you as you see fit. Lord, we pray that you would open the doors of conversation this week, that we might share Jesus and reveal this incredible mystery of Christ in us. We pray, Lord, that you would bring our Togo team back safe, but before they come home, Lord, that you would open amazing doors for the gospel to be preached and many to come to Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would... Fast track our building project because we look forward to a place where we can minister and have people all the days of the week, not just one day of the week, but all the time being able to come and fellowship and, and have places where the word's being taught. We're asking God that you would fast track this process in a way only you can do that. We ask God that you would raise up faithfulness in our lives, that we would all give our lives wholly unto you and labor for you the way we would labor for other things and rich and resources, Lord, in our, own, in our own economy. But, Lord, instead we would be laboring much for you because you gave your life for us and we want to give our life to you. Lord, thank you so much for being our God, our Savior, and our King. And today we want to just lay our lives before you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.